Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out some of the recent interviews we've had on JM and the AM. Jordan Starr, the founder and CEO of Bubula, spoke about fashion and Israel. The uh, conversation was on JM and the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Wednesday morning broadcast. Well, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, our good friend uh, Noy Asraf um, brought to our attention a gentleman out in California who's uh, not just a uh, member of the fashion industry, but someone who's trying to uh, make a difference when it comes to uh, our tradition and heritage. With rising anti-Semitism in the United States, members of the Jewish community are forced to hide their yarmulkes or stars of David. Jordan Starr, a fashion designer and entrepreneur, created Bubula, a brand that aims to make the Jewish people proud of their identity and connected to their roots. Jordan Starr, all the way on the West Coast, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to speak with you. I appreciate that very much. Uh, you know, you could have essentially uh, continued your work and your climb in the fashion industry and not brought attention to the fact uh, of what your roots and heritage are all about. After all, uh, you know, that sometimes can be a challenge. Uh, when it comes to certain areas and industries. Why did you decide to go this route uh, to literally wear your tradition and heritage on your sleeve? Yeah, so, I mean, when I was coming from media and I, I really wanted to do something that um, that really encompassed my heritage and the pride I feel in, in sort of the legacy of where I come from. Um, and so I wanted to do that through clothing, basically, because it's something we carry with us every day. And I felt like that was something that could make a difference. And I didn't see that happening much in the space. And like you said, and, and, and you're uh, a really nice introduction. Thank you for that. Um, a lot of people are really, really cautious about wearing, you know, highly Jewish symbols or, or things like that right now, um, because anti-Semitism is so high. It was already high to begin with. And obviously, it's been increasingly high over the past year, two years. And so I felt like doing something through fashion that pays homage to Jewish tradition and Jewish legacy in different ways, um, and specifically Yiddish and the people who have kept Yiddish going, um, but you know, could be could be something that helps people feel pride in who they are and also safe at the same time, it's um, and also stylish. Yeah, it's interesting because and and you did it a little differently than others might have because as opposed to religious symbols and things like that being part of your designs, it's more like a tip of the hat to Yiddishisms and you know things that are uniquely Jewish and you know a a um, an acknowledgement of those who uh, uh, who were in the Yiddish realm in the past and those who are now in the present, including family members of yours. So you did it a little differently than some might suspect one would go about promoting our tradition through clothing. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up. So what I say about Bubula um, is the brand is really my interpretation of what Bubula represents. And so it's my personal interpretation that I'm really hoping to share with people. And so Bubula to me is a word that is so, that's so soft and warm and nostalgic and at the same time so strong and so resilient <laughs> because it's Yiddish and Yiddish is a language that has survived against all odds, right? right. And so, and the, and the people who carry Yiddish, there's no logical reason why we continue to survive. I mean, it's just, it honestly defies logic that that, that even a word like Bobola is, exists and people know it, right? Given the amount of people that spoke Yiddish that no longer are here, right? 
And, um, and so I try to basically take what that word means to me that, like I said, that warmth, that nostalgia, that strength and put it into clothing. And, and, and it's not necessarily about the symbolism, like, you know, Jewish stars and things like that. It's more about the feeling that Yiddish represents. That's, that's been so important to, to, to my, my family, where I come from, right. and sort of the legacy of, of, of the larger Jewish diaspora. Jordan Starr is with us. Um, you know, it, it, it's funny, you're on the front lines. I mean, you're out there in Hollywood, and you're in the fashion industry, and uh, obviously that's, you know, very 2022, obviously. Um, it, 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 I mentioned in the intro how some of us certainly, um, because of the atmosphere today, uh, hesitate to uh, wear yarmulke in public, uh, uh, do other things that might, um, uh, you know, promote our Jewishness, so to speak. Do you think that that in California and in the Hollywood and fashion industry in general, there is more hesitation to even use those Yiddish words or to reveal through the use of certain words or terms that one does have a Jewish background? I mean, I think in some ways, yes, in some ways, in some ways, no. Yiddish is such a big part of the vernacular in places like California and New York and, you know, where I grew up in Massachusetts that I think it really comes across where it doesn't actually say much about your identity when you when you speak Yiddish, when you say things like schlep or spiel, because so many people from so many different backgrounds know those words right. and things like that. Chutzpah. So on some <laughs> level, and exactly, right? Like people use it and it's. And people use it, you know, for better or for worse, not knowing where it comes from and, you know, the Jewish roots of like, these words. But I think there's, um, among people who are Jewish, there's definitely hesitancy and a lot of ways to visibly show um, their Jewishness. And, um, you know, by like taking off their, their kippot or like taking off their Stars of David, taking mm-hmm. down Mazzas, that was a lot of stuff that we saw this past year. Sure. And one of the cool things about Bobola is if you don't know what Bobola means. Like if you don't know its Yiddish connotation, most people in the areas that I've lived kind of know the word Bobola. They've heard it before. And they're like, they think if they don't know the Jewish connotation, they just think it's a cute word. And if they do, it has a deeper meaning. And so it's almost like this, it's um, kind of a safe way to embrace heritage right. in public. And still, and it's sort of like, you know, if you know, you know. Like I actually, I was speaking to someone recently who said one of the cool things about wearing bubola is that when he's in public, um, you know, in, in obviously most spaces around the world, Jews are the minority, right? And we're kind of used to sure. being in other people's backyard. And sure. um, when you wear a bubola sweatshirt that's like, you know, really high quality, really nice, but has, you know, and it has bubola embroidered in the front, I go with like, you know, a lot of older techniques like embroidery versus printing just because I feel like it fits the brand. Um, and, you know, someone will come up to him and you'd be like, oh, does your, does your sweatshirt say Bobola? And it's like this immediate connection <laughs> of like, oh, this person, this person saves, this person shares the same back, you know, shares a similar background. Like they, like they, they like, to, like, like they saw a menorah in the window, right? <laughs> yeah. Like kind of. Yeah. And so I'll have families that are like families and couples and strangers come up to me where I'm wearing Bobola. Be like, oh my God, my grandma used to call me that. Like I haven't been called Bobola in so long. Or like, oh my God. And it just creates this immediate warm, positive connection where people kind of like are able to tap into where they come from and think about not just like where they come from, you know, uh like geographically, but really like the the roots of where they come from. Like, oh my grandma, you know, used to call me that when I was a kid. I haven't heard that in forever. She spoke Yiddish. I haven't thought about that in so long. Like right. it really gets people in touch with those with the, a, a part of themselves that how can they 
that they might not be able to connect with in their everyday lives. Information about all of this, by the way, bubula.com. You can see Jordan's uh, entire line at B and the story, B-U-B-U-L-E-H.com uh, for information. So for those who portrayed you to me as someone who's fighting anti-Semitism, that's not, and this is not a criticism, I'm just saying that's not 100% accurate. You're, you're more on the offensive. You're more on the Jewish pride angle. You want people who are feeling down because of the atmosphere, uh, you know, in, in certain ways uh, in this country to, to to feel the Jewish pride and to get out there and, uh, and, and promote it and feel good about it, right? Wouldn't that be a better way of saying it? Well, I think there are two sides of the same coin. Um, you can you can face an issue or fight against an issue in different in very different ways, right? And so for me, Jewish pride is one very significant and positive way to fight anti-Semitism because I think on some level, um, you know, there's a lot there's a lot of um, ways that mani- that anti-Semitism manifests itself, right. right? Like in terms of like within the Jewish community, outside of the Jewish community, one problem I've seen a lot is internalized anti-Semitism constantly being in a world where other people tell you what your heritage looks like versus you getting to decide and getting to define what your heritage looks like. And so I think one part of um, fighting anti-Semitism is giving people the the um, sort of the inspiration to define their own background to people as opposed to having the world define their backgrounds to them and their heritages to th- their legacies to them. And so that is for me as a way to fight anti-Semitism as well as just being a proud Jewish brand in the time where there's so much anti-Semitism right. in and of itself is a fight against anti-Semitism. And there's, so there's people who are very vocal who are posting things about statistics, things like that. You know, that's not necessarily the route that we go. Um, it's more just saying that, you know, like we're, it's more continuing the positivity, the strength of our legacy, which is really like the biggest slap in the face to anti-Semitism. Yeah, understood. Uh, curiosity question. We know that sometimes in Hollywood, for instance, in the movie industry, the film industry, it, it, it's hard for certain people to be supporters of Israel. I, and I have no idea what your politics are, but I'm just curious. In, in the fashion industry, does one have to be careful when when discussing Israel or, or choosing a side when it comes to you know Israeli politics and, and, and its uh, effect on the world scene? Is, is it a major issue or, or it never comes up? Yeah, absolutely. And I could talk about that for hours. Oh, wow. Um, so I think, like, you know, so, so just in general, like, you know, the fashion industry and just the, the area that I'm in right now, like, doesn't exist in a bubble. And so everything that surrounds Israel tends to be really, really charged mm-hmm. and really polarizing. Um, and it's really unfortunate, of course, um, that, like, you know, something that brings so many of us so much pride and so much joy is so polarizing and so taboo to mm-hmm. even talk even to bring up the name, um, like to even bring up a place. Um, and so for me, it is something that, um, I, you know, I, I'm still navigating, um, you know, as like a new business owner, as someone that is like just running a business at a time where things just in general are really polarizing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, it's not, it's not that for me, I stray away from talking about Israel. It doesn't necessarily tie into the brand so much. So it doesn't come up that much organically, right. to be honest, for us as a brand, because we're not we're really inspired by the Jewish diaspora, right, outside of Israel. Um, and but we are like you know we're not you know shying away from necessarily um, being in Israel, being you know being uh, proud of Israel as a Jewish homeland. And right. um, you know we're expanding to Israel this year. We have customers in Israel that we love. Um, I'll significant majority of my good friends are in Israel. 
Um, and I spent a good amount of time there, had my bar mitzvah there and then worked there later <laughs> in my life. And uh, yeah, yeah. So like, you know, it's, it's a really special place to me. And I think one of the things that I'm still navigating is how to incorporate that love into the brand in a way that doesn't come across as divisive in a time where everything, when you even bring up the word, people's blood starts boiling in so many different ways for so many different reasons. Wow. Just, um, the, just the fact that it's so significant to you and, and, and you're, and you're giving it such thought uh, in terms of how to do it in a, in a, in a, you know, responsible manner is, is, is really nice. That's really cool. Yeah. I think, I think as like a Jewish brand, there is a responsibility to talk about how anti-Semitism, especially as a brand that's, you know, fighting against anti-Semitism in the way that we talked about, right. there is a responsibility on our part to talk about how anti anti-Semitism manifests itself a lot of times as anti-Zionism. And, um, and I think that that needs to be a part of the conversation, but I'm very intentional about like the fact that I'm not an expert on everything mm -hmm. and I'm not trying to be an expert on everything. I'm more talking about, you know, the legacy and, you know, the diaspora, but, this is definitely something that as a brand, it's something that, you know, it, this, this, this whole aspect of our legacy, and even though these things can be somewhat touchy, are definitely things that we're going to need to tackle. Um, and we're, we're, you know, excited to tackle because I think we can bring things to the conversation and we can bring ideas to the conversation and bring voices to the conversation that aren't, don't get people's blood to boil. They're really just talking about how people feel and people's experiences and people's safety. Um, and you know, like you, like we said, um, I'm just trying to be very intentional about it. Right. Very interesting. Uh, information about, uh, the fashion that, uh, Jordan star is responsible for. You can go to bubula.com. He was introduced to us as somebody who's using, uh, his skills, uh, to, um, promote Jewish pride. And as he described, combat anti-Semitism at the same time, Jordan continued. Good luck to you. And thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you so, so much. Have a great day. More coming up. You're listening to a Wednesday morning edition of JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Jordan Starr, founder and CEO of Bubula. Arnie Roth was with us. Mr. Arnold Roth is the father of Malky Roth, one of the victims in the Sabaro bombing from years ago in Jerusalem. He spoke with us on JM in the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Today is the 21st anniversary of the Sabaro a terrorist attack, the suicide bombing that took place at the Sabaro restaurant, the pizzeria in downtown Jerusalem, the 9th of August, 2001. 15 civilians were killed, over 130 people injured. Among the victims, Malky Roth, whose father, Arnold Roth, is with us live via telephone on this on this day uh, that we commemorate 21 years since that horrific terrorist attack in Jerusalem. Arnold Roth, an honor to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Nice to your voice, Martin. Thank you for having me here. Um, well, let's start with what do you remember about that day? Can you uh, describe, especially for the younger people out there who don't remember the episode, just how horrific a terrorist bombing the Sabaro bombing was? Well, since uh, we weren't there, Malky died uh, with her best friend, but not uh, with anyone else from the family. I can only say what it was like at the other end of the phone, because uh, my wife called me at 2 o'clock that very hot Thursday afternoon and said there's been a terrible attack and she can't find the children. And it was uh, it was black and darker and darker from then for the next 12 hours. 
we didn't find Malky until 12 hours later, 2 o'clock in the morning. And uh, and when we found her, my son's found her, uh, she'd been dead for many hours. Uh, the events of 21 years ago are uh, really etched in our brains. It's not the day that we go uh, to the uh, cemetery uh, or say Kaddish because we do that on Chafav, which is next uh, Wednesday next week. But it's the day that we try to remind people of how catastrophically the after-effects have been handled by the various uh, public authorities. Malky was an American citizen, unlike me, but like her mother and her siblings. And we asked the American government to go after the ringleader uh, all the way back in 2012, just after she was freed in the Gilad Shalit deal. And here we are, 2022, and that woman who is America's most wanted fugitive, who is female, most wanted American female fugitive, is free living the life of a celebrity in Jordan because, A, Jordan thinks the world of her, and B, America does not want to mess with Jordan, which is a country totally dependent on the United States. Because of Israel's relationship with Jordan, which often is painted as warm or cordial or diplomatic. Is there any hope that the Israelis can uh, achieve some justice from the Jordanians? It's an important issue that you've raised, and you've only promised me two and a half hours on the phone now, and I don't think that's enough for me to really explain the ins and outs of it. What I'll say to keep it in two, 30 seconds is, Israel can block us. Israel can't make this happen. Uh, Israel does not have a warm relationship with Jordan. It may never have a warm relationship with Jordan, but I, be- I believe that America, the, the, that Israel and the Jordanian king and the Hashemite palace have a warm understanding of some kind. None of that should be a reason to brush justice and the life of my daughter and the other 16 victims, a total of 16, under the rug. That's just unthinkable. Arnold Roth is with us. We're talking about 21 years ago today on the 9th of August, the Jerusalem Sabaro bombing. By the way, he is going to be featured tomorrow at 12 noon Eastern time discussing this horrific terrorist attack uh, on a website entitled emetonline.org. Again, that's emet, E-M-E-T, online. Dot org. Uh, it's tomorrow, Wednesday, August the 10th at 12 noon Eastern time if you want to hear more uh, on a webinar about the Jerusalem Sabaro bombing. Um, I wonder about your perspective, uh, Arnold. Um, those of us who remember the Sabaro bombing uh, can certainly point to it as a, a turning point, a significant event uh, an attack that really started to um, uh, g- catch the attention of uh, Israeli officials and the free world. I know that's not comforting at all for you and your family, obviously. Uh, but do you look at that episode as an important historical turning point in terms of the war on terror? I think you're right, Malcolm. Uh Naturally, my perspective is uh, entirely rooted in the very intimate nature of losing a child. There's nothing that I want to talk about to a large audience that is very meaningful about what that does to you and to your family. 
But in the larger sense, you're absolutely right. The Sabaro massacre, which is what it was, alerted a lot of Israelis, perhaps for the first time, that there is something so malevolent, so ugly, in the confrontation we have with the people who are all around us, that it calls for a different approach. And uh, since we're both old enough to remember how that different approach played itself out in the two or three years after the Sabara massacre, um, we don't really need to go into the details other than that extreme force was needed in order to safeguard the Israeli population. If I talk about it from a more personal perspective, I would say that the real bitterness, the awful pain, uh, is something that has never gone away, but is, the right word is ameliorated. In other words, it's made a little gentler by the fact that Noki was a Baalat Chesed. And for those who don't speak enough Hebrew on this uh, program today, she did wonderful things all her life. Uh, she was doing them right up until the day that her life ended. She was 15. We created a foundation, and the good work that's done by the Malki Foundation, which is uh, easily found on the internet, the Malki Foundation carries on the goodness. And the contrast between the life of Malki and the hideousness that characterizes the life of the woman who's now America's most wanted female fugitive is very great. Uh, there are people who, in their stupidity, journalists mostly, have said, oh, yes, this is two sides of the same coin. I've literally been told that several times by prominent journalists. It's nonsense. Malky and the murderer have no resemblance to each other, and the good that's done really every day by the charity in her name, helping families like my own family with a very disabled child, to care for that child, that means the world of difference. We're on the good side, and we shouldn't be ashamed to ever say that. The Malky yeah. Foundation proves that. Malki is alive in a certain sense, and her uh, her uh, terrorist leader that was responsible for the attack, in in fact, is dead to us, and we hope that in fact um, achieves and gains the justice that she deserves. Obviously, she's still alive, but in terms of uh, humanity, uh, her soul is you, quite. You put that the right way. Yeah, her soul is quite dead. Arnold Roth is with us, father of fifteen year old. Malky Roth, a bombing victim 21 years ago today, the Jerusalem Sabaro bombing that many of us certainly remember. <clears throat> uh, you, you told us about the effort, mostly with the American government, it sounds like, uh, regarding uh, trying to uh, bring the perpetrator, the mastermind behind this uh, attack uh, to justice, who now is in Jordan, as you described. Are there other legal um, uh, um, uh, things that are going on Often we hear when it comes to terror attacks that certain governments are being sued, entities are being sued, obviously symbolically very often because no money is going to end up being exchanged or handed over, but you get my point. Are, are there other legal efforts going on, or this is the one that you're concentrating on all this time? We are in an almost uniquely powerful position. They don't get better than this. Uh, the FBI and the Department of Justice have been sitting on this case now since 2012, 2012, more than 10 years. And it doesn't get stronger than this. This is a case that just needs the accused to be in court, and that's the whole problem. But to just indicate how incredibly frustrating the situation that we're in is, despite what I've just said, we wrote a letter to President Joseph Biden, who's the leader of the United States, as you may know, when he arrived here in Jerusalem about uh, four weeks ago, four or five weeks ago, 
the letter was delivered to him personally in the Oval Office, and it took 24 hours for the White House to come back with a response to our request, which was, please, Mr. Biden, you ignored our letter to you in the Wall Street Journal last year when you sat down with the Jordanian king. Don't ignore us now. You're coming to Jerusalem. We can walk over to you because we live right near your hotel. Please meet with us. And the response that we got was, actually, we got none. The response was delivered to Associated Press here in Israel. And the response was, and I'm quoting, there will be no response to the rocks. Huh. Now, if anybody's listening to this and isn't shocked, then they must be made of rock because there's something so perverse about the way this has gone. We're not threatening the United States. We don't want a postage stamp in our daughter's memory. We're certainly not looking for money and we're not looking for fame. And the President of the United States says we will not be responding to you. There are other families, obviously, some of them well-known, unfortunately, because of this uh, infamous act, um, who were... Uh, uh, who, who have suffered over the years from their family members being victims. Now, I understand they're obviously not United States citizens. In fact, I think there was only one other U.S. citizen among the victims. Does that uh, uh, prevent them for fi- uh, from fighting for justice? Are, are they involved? Do you know if other families are involved in this effort on other fronts? And so you put your finger right on it. I'll say it as briefly as I can, and it'll be brief. The only Americans have this leverage. I'm obviously not an American, but Naki was, and Trimit and our children are. And uh, only the Americans can do it. There's one other family who lost a child, actually murdered. She was a woman pregnant with her first child. A terrible, terrible tragedy at the personal level. And there's another woman who has been in a vegetative state from that day until today. She's also an American. But many Israeli families, many of whom are friends of ours, have no leverage. They do not have the ability that we do, and therefore, it's not only something that we're driven by a passion to see done, we have a tremendous responsibility, because if we don't succeed, if we don't take these measures, this monster is going to die in her own bed as an old woman. And that's unthinkable. And I also want to remind people that there are uh, a couple of survivors of this attack uh, who lost both parents and three siblings in the attack. And not that one situation is better or worse than others. Uh, it's just that uh, you certainly recall uh, that as high profile as um, uh, as this terrorist attack was, the fact that five family members were taken in the same attack certainly got some international attention. So just one brief word about that. You're speaking of the Skyvitskuta family. Right. And though we hadn't coordinated with them and don't, and we respect their privacy, we've tried to get the government of the Netherlands, which is where their citizenship comes, right. to take a stand, and they've uh, ignored all of this. So we, we thank all of the parties uh, to be thanked for the fact that the United States responded to us, because the response has been from the Department of Justice and from the FBI, and to understand what the State Department have done all these years, um, and I'm not stupid or a lack of, I don't like words, but to understand what they've done and what the White House has done through three administrations, which is they've done nothing, is to me just incomprehensible. Yeah, understood. We should mention that the Malki Foundation can be found online at karenmalki.org. That's Karen, K-E-R-E-N, Malki, M-A-L-K-I, dot org. And it would be fitting on this uh, 21st anniversary on the secular calendar of the Sabaro bombing uh, on this August 9th, the day that uh, Malki and so many others uh, were killed by the, uh, by the enemy. 
uh, would be fitting to make a donation. Those of you who'd like to, there is a Donate Now button at the very top right of the page. Go to Karen Malky, that's M-A-L-K-I, KarenMalky.org, and you can help commemorate the memory of a beautiful life of Malky Roth, who was born in 1985 and was murdered in 2001 in the center of Jerusalem. I'm assuming, Arnold Roth, that the presentation tomorrow with Emmet Online will be similar to this one, meaning you'll discuss uh, both the episode itself and the legal efforts that have been going on since then. Um, absolutely not. On that. Uh, look, it, the Emmet uh, uh, organization has been really, really good to us over a long period of time, and I plan to actually drill down into some of the um, failures the failures of uh, American Jewish leadership, has to be said, uh, that have gotten us into the situation where, and I don't want to make it sound too dramatic, but from it and I are really on our own. Uh, no one is going to convince me, and I don't think anybody believes, that we're nuts or driven by hatred or starting to get the mouth crazy. But if you look at the way people, in, people who have real leadership and leverage in the Jewish world in the United States have kept their distance from the issue or come up and given us a pat on the back and then say nothing, then you'll understand why tomorrow when I'm speaking to the Emmet workshop, I do plan to go into the details. And Nachum, I just want to tell you that if you want me to do this on some future occasion, you just need to say the word. This is not the first time I've been on your program. And each time I come away thinking what a fine guy you are and I wish you had a program that was run from Jerusalem. And maybe we can set that up. (laughs) It's funny you mentioned that because of circumstances that have happened uh, here in recent months. Uh, we're actually considering uh, setting up an official Jerusalem operation, whether I'm there full-time or not, but that's for a different day. By the way, Arnold, and, and, and this is not to excuse anybody uh, from any responsibility. American Jewish leadership, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm on the same page as you are when it comes to uh, a response to episodes like this. But do you think that historically... Because the Sabaro bombing was, you know, in the middle of such a spate of terror, uh, that that somehow uh, that period of time numbed Jewish leadership to what was going on. Because I, I don't have it in front of me, but I can only imagine if we would put together a list of what was going on in Jerusalem and other parts of Israel in 2000, 2001, 2002. It was almost an endless cycle of terror. Do you think that that atmosphere created a a, a, a numbing of Jewish leadership to these things? It's a good uh, theory. I, I, I reject it out of hand. Um, everything that's gone wrong has basically gone wrong from the time that the Shalit deal was done in 2011. Right. And that wasn't a function of numbing. That was a function of people with their priorities in the wrong place. Uh, there are some really immutable values, values that nobody should ever try to change in Jewish life, and come to that in American life as well, because on this, the, the value systems somewhat overlap. What was done at the time of the Shalit deal, and has been done since then, has really been unforgivable, and that's been prioritizing the doing of political deals over simple elemental justice and the un, unlimited priority of saving human lives. But again, if, we, if we've got two and a half hours, and I'm hoping you'll find a spare two and a half hours one of these weeks, I'll happily go into the discussion and you'll spread your views and I'll spread mine. But nothing will change me from my anger and disappointment at the way so many parties, certainly in Israel, I'm not trying to hide things, although I'm an Israeli citizen and a Zionist and I'm not about to uh, bucket the Israeli government in public, 
Um, but, but so many Jewish leaders who say, yes, 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 we're with you, we're with you, we're with you. Oh, but you know, you have to remember the King of Dollar. That's where they lose me. There's something really, really, there's something gotten lost here. King of Dollar is a really serious issue. And justice is a really serious issue. Please, ladies and gentlemen of the American Jewish leadership, don't get confused and think that King Abdullah trumps justice. In fact, he doesn't trump anything. And uh, I've written myself several times, sometimes with the American, uh, the Anti-Defamation League, sometimes on my own, about the really serious problems that Jewish interests have in Jordan. There are people who will say it's the world's finest country. It has the most democratic society and uh, all the children have curly hair. But these are nonsense statements, uh, and, and they come very close to the ones that are actually being made. Jordan is a highly problematic country to the Jordanians. It's an even more problematic country for us. Israelis like to say it's our longest border, and having all of those Jordanian soldiers along the border with their guns pointed at their own people, which is what you hear all the time here, is a real consideration. So what are you going to do? If that's the case, what do you do with justice? What do you do with dead Jewish children who are being celebrated, just literally celebrated, in Jordan today? Ninth of August in Jordan, if you look through the internet, uh, uh, Uncle Google will translate Arabic into English for most people most of the time. You can read it for yourselves. Are celebrating the deaths, celebrating the murders. This woman is a hero. There's no reason why we need to give a hand to this. This is a disaster from every point of view. For those of you just tuning in, just to, in context or for context, the um, the murderer, the perpetrator, the mastermind behind the Sabaro uh, bombing, the pizzeria bombing in Jerusalem uh, 21 years ago today, is now living freely in Jordan and is enjoying celebrity status for her attitude toward and her actions against Jewish children. Keep that in mind. Uh, I remind everybody that Karen Malky is a uh, worthwhile cause to support. You can go to the website, karenmalky.org, K-E-R-E-N-M-A-L-K-I. The Malky Foundation is, of course, named for Malky Roth, murdered 21 years ago today with many others, uh, August the 9th of uh, 2001, with many others in the Sabaro Pizzeria bombing in the center of Jerusalem. Arnold Roth, um, continued success on this uh pursuit of justice i don't know what else to say on this secular anniversary and the upcoming yard site i I just hope your family gets some comfort from knowing that there are some people who care uh about uh, malky's memory and uh and bringing her perpetrators to justice i really appreciate hearing that thank you arnold roth uh tomorrow you can catch uh likely even more details about all of this if you go to uh, emmet online .org, emet, E-M-E-T, online.org. Uh, Arnold Roth will be addressing all of this in a webinar tomorrow, Wednesday, starting at 12 noon Eastern time. You can check it out on the web. And again, the Karen Malky uh, website, K-E-R-E-N-M-A-L-K-I.org. There's a Donate Now button on the top right of the page. Certainly worthy on this anniversary or the Hebrew anniversary uh, to commemorate Malky's memory. More coming up. You're listening to a uh, Tuesday morning edition of JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Mr. Arnold Roth, father of Malky Roth, victim in the Sabaro bombing in Jerusalem 21 years ago. Ariel Kahana was with us recently. We spoke about Israeli politics and the recent uh, encounter between Israel and Islamic Jihad. Ariel Kahana 
recent guest on JM and the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. We've been very concerned about our uh, brothers and sisters in Israel, and we pray that this ceasefire is really a true ceasefire. Someone who can uh, shed some light on all of this for us is Ariel Kahana. Ariel Kahana is diplomatic commentator, journalist for uh, Israel Hayom, and he is with us live via telephone from Israel on this Monday morning. Ariel Kahana, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Pleasure to be with you and with your listeners, Nachum. And uh, as you said, it's the beginning of a new season from few aspects. There's no question about that. What I'd like to hope is that a season of peace has begun. Can you confirm for us that, in fact, Israel is now in a state of ceasefire and our brothers and sisters can roam the country freely, so to speak? Yeah. So yeah, exactly. That's what I meant to say. Uh, yes, it, it's uh, now it's uh, I believe more than uh, 12, even 15 hours more or less since the ceasefire began. It looks uh, serious. It looks stable. Serious. I mean, a real uh, ceasefire. Uh, no drops. No extras. Uh, really quiet. Uh, all restrictions uh, that were in the last week for the places, the towns in the south are lifted. Life became completely regular, including uh, allowing people to go to the beaches uh, for those who are looking for it. So, uh, yes, Baruch Hashem, it's, it looks very good. Now, uh, Ariel Kahana is with us from Israel, Israel Hayom. Um, it, it, we left the air Friday morning, uh, which was 4 p.m. Israel time on Friday, and I don't think anything had begun. Even we were, when we were still on the show, I don't think anything had started. Then, of course, an hour or two later, we start to hear the news reports from Israel. Now, I'm not in any way upset about the following, but I'm curious why you feel this was such a short encounter. Why did it begin on Friday afternoon? And thank God, thank God, on Monday, we could say with confidence that it's over. So actually, uh, things were, were like that. Uh, there was, I mean, let, let's go one week uh, uh, back. Right. Uh, Israel arrested the head of the Islamic Jihad, which is, of course, an, a terrorist organization, an Iranian proxy. Uh, so Israel arrested the head of this organization in Judea and Samaria. Uh, as a revenge, that group in Gaza threatened uh, to actually kill Israelis. There was, there was a very uh, confirmed information, intelligence uh, for Tsar, for the IDF, that the terrorist groups are actually sitting on the border, the border of Gaza in the south, and looking for opportunities uh, to kill to kill Jews. Uh, that happened or began since Wednesday. From that day, uh, actually, I would say tens or at least a lot of places, towns, cities in the south were uh, um, were actually told not not to go out of homes. And we're talking about thousands of thousands of people that couldn't get uh, couldn't get out of their homes because uh, there was a threat. That uh, lasted, let's say, about 48 hours. And then from one hand, um, you know, people said enough is enough. We, we want to go back to, to our regular life. How, how long can we stay at home? And from the, from the other hand, there was, a, let's say, a opportunity uh, to kill a major leader of this uh, Islamic uh, Jihad group in right. Gaza right. Um, to, kill, to kill their head. Uh, so that's how the operation began. Uh, that happened on, on Friday, as you said. 
And so as a revenge, of course, they, sh uh, you know, send the missiles, we send our own dome, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the round is no, the, the way it works is, is, is well known. And then yesterday night, I mean, talking about Israel time, it was uh, early morning for you. Um, uh, we had the ceasefire beginning. And as we said before, it looks it looks good. It looks stable. And I think we are back to regular life. Ariel Kahana is with us, diplomatic commentator, journalist for Israel Hayom. Um, not to be uh, not to be too cynical. I think that I think it's a worthwhile analysis because of what's going on in Israel now politically. Uh, every one of these operations produces winners and losers. How does the uh, temporary prime minister look after the last few days? <laughs> okay, that's a question everybody are asking. So, look, from from my point of view, he did he did a good job. He did a good job. Uh, I mean, they began on time. They they stopped on time. Uh, his declarations, his statements were right. I, I think he played it right. Uh, now, as you said, the, the question, and we know that just in the weekend's polls, we are, of course, let's remind us, we are three months before elections. Uh, would that be shown in, in the polls? I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I, I believe uh, at least 90% of the Israelis are, are more or less on, on the same page. They know who they're going to vote for. And, and I don't think uh, uh, what happened in the last days is going to change their mind. Right. But, you know, uh, the difference between the blocks is one or two seats, mandates in the Knesset. Mm -hmm. So maybe that will make the difference. Who knows? You know that in this audience there are a lot of Netanyahu and Bennett fans. It's not a secret. Uh, did either of them become higher profile over the last few days? Did either of them have a role in any of this? I think no. Look, Bennett is actually, although he had some role uh, in the internal discussions, it was not seen on public. I mean, he took no pictures and made no no statements. So actually, almost nobody knows he was he was part of the decision uh, making regarding Netanyahu. So he had a formal meeting uh, briefed by Yair Lapid, by the Prime Minister. It was very clear it was not convenient for Netanyahu to be the one who gets the brief and not the one who who, who give it. Um, but uh, but on top of that, Netanyahu made his part going to Fox News to to and, and it's very important to say he backed he backed Lapid. He didn't say, oh, it's a war for political reasons, right. as, as they told him when he was in office. So uh, so I, I don't think he's going to be hurt from that. Uh, the same. I'm not sure he's going to be going to earn any points of that. Right. He, he, he's on his page. Won't make much of a difference is uh, what it sounds like. Um, well, Baruch Hashem, yeah. our brothers and sisters in Israel are in a better situation than they were uh, 48 hours ago. Thank God for that. And it's interesting timing, uh, Ariel Kahana, isn't it? Uh, that all of this happened as the 9th of Av, Friday night, was officially beginning, and as the Tisha B'Av observance was taking place on Sunday. I'm sure this was not lost on you that this was happening as we were going through the saddest day of the year. Correct. Uh, although, you know, we are experienced enough uh, <laughs> because we actually we have su such a round with Gaza almost every year. And I can't say it happens just on Tisha B'Av right. uh, or in the, or in the nine, nine days. And I, I think Nahum, it's almost it's also important to, to mention that in, in the last year fight, we had very significant uh, riots actually inside uh, inside Israel. I'm talking about uh, Akko and Haifa and Yafo. Uh, that 
that happened last year. It right. didn't happen uh, in the last weekend. And I think that's that's very positive development. It doesn't mean that all issues with Israeli Arabs are, are ended. Definitely not. Right. But at least in this round, uh, it was better. Wow, what an important point. And I'm so glad you mentioned it. And we have to keep that in mind, even though we're thousands of mm-hmm. miles away, that our brothers and sisters did not uh, were not subject to the, uh, the uh, Israeli Arab riots that took place in so many cities in Israel last year. A very important point. I didn't think of that. Um, it, why, mm-hmm. why do you think Hamas stayed out? Why do you think that... Uh, that, that Hamas stayed out of the entire uh, exchange. And, and I was told that they actually were rewarded for staying out. Does that uh, sound right? So it's, it's a very good question. So actually Hamas now, let's say, is weak. Hamas is weak because last year round actually hurt them in ways that the population in Gaza are telling uh, the leadership of Hamas, I mean, you go to your, your wars, but we pay the price from economical side and, of course, of casualties. Right. So Hamas didn't want to, to join this time. For us uh, here in Israel, of course, it's good because because the, the Islamic Jihad is a small group, we must say. Hamas is much, much bigger. So for us, it's good. Uh, Hamas wasn't part of it. Uh, and also, Nahum, maybe, maybe we will have good news regarding... Uh, our prisoners in Gaza and our, uh, uh, you know, dead soldiers that Hamas yeah. holds their bodies. Yeah. Uh, now it's it's eight years they hold their bodies. There are signs that Hamas is now ready uh, to make a deal. I don't know yet. It's very early. I don't know uh, at all what would be the price we will pay. And of course, some prisoners, some Hamas uh, prisoners will be free. But it looks that maybe, maybe in the coming weeks, there is a chance to have such a deal and at least we'll get back the bodies for our soldiers and two Israelis, alive Israelis that Hamas is holding again for a few years now. Israelis, and a lot of people don't realize this, Israelis Hisham al-Sayed and uh, Abera Mengistu and the bodies of soldiers Hadar Golden and Oron Shaul are still being held uh, by Hamas at this point. And yeah, that would be uh, quite a development. It might it might require the release of a lot of prisoners, as we know the way these things go, right? I mean, it may be it, correct. It may be a big imbalance in terms of the exchange, but um, uh, but let's hope at least that it will result in the positive uh, uh, aspect that you just described, uh, Ariel Kahana. I um, uh, we, we have to have you back on because I know you spent some time um, uh, writing about or uh, reporting on what's going on here in this country about a variety of things. So hopefully we'll do that next time if you don't mind. Sure, sure. I would love whatever you say. You know, when you call me Nahum, I'm here. I appreciate that. Ariel Kahana, <laughs> diplomatic commentator, journalist, Israel Hayom. Todara Ban, stay safe. Thank you. Bye bye, little. Ariel Kahana, direct from Israel for us here at JM in the AM. It is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. Round the world away on AlchemSingle.com and the AlchemSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. That was my conversation with Ariel Kahana. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. More coming up. Keep it here at NSN, the Nahum Siegel Network.